Just open up to the middle and you should find your way. 150 chapters long will be in uh, Psalm 115 today. Well, uh, I hope that you had an awesome week this week coming off of Easter week. Uh, very thankful for our celebration together as a church and recognizing what Jesus did for us on the cross in his death and what he did for us in his resurrection in the empty tomb, giving us life if we would but hold out our hands and receive it. Well, today we continue the celebration, and we're continuing the celebration through starting a new series we're calling Steps Journeying with Jesus. So if you are relatively new to Redemption Hill, this is going to be a great series for you to just learn what we're about as a church And if you've been a part of Redemption Hill for a while, like I have, it's going to be a great series for you too, because it really gets at what we value the most as a church and how we seek to live that out. So uh, our mission statement as a church says this, we exist, we, Redemption Hill Church exists, why? To glorify God, okay, that means to, to point to God's greatness, we're going to talk a lot about that this morning, by how? Living out His mission as a community of people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do is talk about how we seek to do that. How do we seek to fulfill our mission statement as a church? And it's really captured in this little card that's going to be up on the screen that we call our discipleship strategy. You can see here at the top of the page what we want to do as a church, how we seek to live out God's mission is by helping all people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's our goal. We want to help every single person know what it means to know Jesus, follow Jesus, become like Jesus. That's the maturity part. And introduce other people to Jesus. That's the multiplying part. Now, how do we go about that? Well, uh, you can see that m- for most people, we realize that the first step into the life of Redemption Hill is going to be through Sunday morning, our Sunday morning worship experience. Then uh, you can see that we try to encourage everyone, here's a shameless plug, commercial for what's happening after the service today. Next is a place where you can begin and belong. So our next luncheon is a place where you can connect with other people. That's never a bad thing in my estimation. And you can learn more about the mission and vision of RHC. So whether you're brand new, it's your first Sunday, I want you to stick around. If you have been a part of Redemption Hill and you've never been to Next, today is a great Sunday, all right? Because here's just a little little tip for you, all right? We have plenty of food. All right, like Sunday after Easter, you don't don't come soft, all right? You come strong. And we have a lot of food for anybody that wants to come. So please bring a friend. Even if you've been before, we'll probably still feed you, okay? I'm just saying. So so you go to next, you learn what we're about as a church, and then hopefully we see over time, whether quickly or maybe, uh, you know, it takes a little bit of time for people to learn about what it looks like to connect with a group, serve with a team. And then when people say, you know what, this church is all right, I think I'm going to stick around a little while. I don't not only want to be all in with Jesus, but I want to be all in with this church known as Redemption Hill. Then that's what we talk about covenant membership. It's really just saying, hey, this is my church. I want to commit to this local family of believers in Jesus. So I'm going to do that through covenant membership. And then the goal is, again, not just to grow to be like Jesus, but to introduce others to Jesus. And that's what we talk about when we're talking about multiplying locally and globally. But today, we're going to kick it off by asking the question, why worship? 
okay? Why Sunday worship? Why are you here right now? Why would you, and probably what we could say, if we're being honest, a countercultural move that instead of, you know, catching a few extra Zs or enjoying the nice weather out there immediately on your Sunday, that you come to worship together to learn more about Christ. Why is this so important? And so if I were to give you an elevator pitch, right? Does anyone know what an elevator is? Some people think like a business world. You know, if you have just a couple of minutes and you're riding up an elevator and you just have a couple of minutes to explain, you know, what you do or your business opportunity to someone, you call that an elevator pitch. Well, this would be my elevator pitch for Sunday morning, all right? And then we're just gonna unpack it as we go. I would say this, all right? We view our Sunday worship experience as an irreplaceable aspect of life. We gather on Sundays to know God and celebrate his infinite greatness with one collective voice. It is the collision point, okay? Sundays are the collision point where our core values as a church come together. We experience transformation through the gospel, encouragement in community, and motivation for mission. In our fast-paced, high-intensity culture, anybody with me? In our high, fast-paced, high-intensity culture, worship provides needed refreshment and helps us recalibrate our lives to God's amazing design for us. We expect what happens on Sunday to influence the other 167 hours of our week. That's why it's not just for us, but we want to invite all people to experience what God has done for us through Jesus Christ on Sundays. How, how's that for an elevator? Like, maybe you'll be back next Sunday after that? Maybe. maybe. If, if not, then maybe I can convince you through the rest of the sermon, right? So uh, Psalm 115 is going to help us out as we consider why Sundays. And this, this passage, this chapter, out of the songbook of the Bible, 150 psalms or songs, teaches us that our worship flows from the worth of God, okay? We worship on Sundays because God is worthy of our attention, our affection, our allegiance as we express it together when we come together on Sunday. So what I want to do is give you five reasons why Sunday worship is so important, why we should prioritize it in our lives. And before I give you the first reason, I just want to read through the first eight verses of Psalm 115. So you can listen along with me or follow along in your Bible there. This is what the psalmist writes. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound with their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust 
in them. The first reason I want to give you today on why we should collectively prioritize Sunday worship is this, okay? We should prioritize Sunday worship because God is supremely worthy. God is supremely worthy. This is how the psalm starts out, right? He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And why would this be the opening statement of this song? Well, it seems that in this time, there were people around the people of God that were taking shots at God. They were experiencing some adversity. You could even say perhaps persecution. And they were derisively saying, hey, where is your God? If your God is so great, where is he? And so the first prayer of the psalm is, hey, you know what? God, to your name, give the glory. When we talk about God's name, we're talking about God's reputation, the, the very essence, the very character of God, how great God is in just his intrinsic worth. And so there is a, a, an immediate rebuttal to this question, where is God? To say, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he wants. He does whatever he pleases. And you see, when we come in together on a Sunday morning, Our first priority, the most important thing that we do is we're saying together collectively, God, you are worth more than anything that our eyes can see or that our lives could experience here in this world. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Worship is giving God all that he is worth. And so to say that God is glorious, when we talk about the glory of God, here's what we're talking about. The glory of God is the display of his manifold perfections. In other words, God is perfect, and he's perfect in every way. And so the glory of God is is the going public of his greatness. It's his greatness on display for all people to see. And so when we come together and we worship God, we say, God, you're worthy, you're glorious. We're worshiping with our minds and with our hearts and with our mouths in these songs. We are saying we want all people to know how great you are. And, oh, by the way, we want to remind one another, because I don't know about you, but I need some important reminders in my life. We want to remind one another that God is glorious every single Sunday. If nothing else happens when we gather together, but it's just to tell one another, hey, God is worthy, he is glorious, then we have more than made our money's worth when we come in on Sunday. Can I get an amen for that? Thank you very much. That's good. That's true. All right? and, and what we're doing is we're learning who God is when we come to worship. We're being reminded of who he is. We're being reminded of his character and his work. This is what verse 3 begins to teach us. It says, our God. What do we Just stop right there. What do we learn? God is both personal. Okay, He's our God. He belongs to us. And God is present. God is is near. He is with us. But our God is in the heavens. God is not only personal and present, he is also powerful and sovereign. In other words, God can do whatever he wants because God is in control of this entire world and he has the power to do as he pleases. He's powerful. He's present. He's sovereign, and he's in control, and he is free. 
He does whatever he wants. He, he does all that he pleases. He is not dependent on anyone or anything like us. Okay, this is where like some, some theologies would like in trying to wrap our minds around who God is because God is so vast and he's so infinite, then what we can do is get into this dangerous territory. It's like, well, just think about what's good in you and know that God is like some pumped up version of yourself. Okay, like that is not right whatsoever. Okay, God is not some pumped up version of us, although that would make us feel good. It just isn't true and false is not constructive, right? So God is not some better version of us. God is God. He is unique. He is the creator. We are the created. He is independent, not, not dependent on anyone or anything. God is powerful and he's free. So we have a manufactured and expiration date, but not God. God is alive. He has always been. He is eternal. And this is where we see a contrast in verse 4 with this strong warning against idolatry. Did you, did you hear these words? These idols are silver and gold. They are the work of human hands. If you have ever had the privilege of traveling around the world, maybe into a, a nation that's dominated by Hinduism or Buddhism, you might see physical idols, man-made wooden or metal idols that have been carved. And listen, people actually bow down and they worship these man-made idols. They actually put money at their feet. They lay flowers. They, they pray to these wooden objects. And I don't know about, but, about you, but, but when I saw this, it was shocking to me. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that people would trust in these wooden creations. And we might be tempted to say, oh, how sad for them. They actually believe this wooden object can come through for them. But I would just pause and say, well, well what about us? What, what, what about our idols? We may not worship a, a wooden a creation that, that our hands have made, but we are really good, really good at bowing down to the idols of approval and success and sex and money and possessions and belonging, relationships, finding our identity in other things, anything else besides God. That's what idolatry is. It's taking a good thing that God has given us and it's turning it into a God thing, an ultimate thing, where we care more about that thing. We value it more than we value God so that if you were to take that thing away from us, our lives begin to unravel. Our lives begin to crumble. It's called a functional savior. We're looking for what we should find in God in these lesser things. We're all tempted to idolatry. These counterfeit gods always overpromise and underdeliver. And yet our God is alive. Our God is, is he doesn't have eyes but cannot see, but our God lives. This is, this is what we celebrated last Sunday on Easter, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and our place that we might have life through his sacrifice. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. 
So this is why we come together on Sunday, right? Acts 20 verse 7 says that the earliest followers of Jesus, they came together on the first day of the week. Why did they do that? It's because Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. So every single Sunday is a tangible reminder that we are coming together on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. See, it's our vision of God who God is, what he has done for us in sending his son in his death and his resurrection that should inform our worship of him on a daily basis and especially on Sundays when we come together as a church. You say, well, Tanner, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean. Because we know who this great God is, that there is no God like our God, there is no other God who exists, much less another God who is infinitely glorious like our God, what this means is then we worship him with, check this out, both gravity and gladness. You might want to write that down. You see, gravity means that there is a weight to this. There is something that is so significant and important. In fact, the word glory in the Old Testament meant something that was weighty, something that had substance, something that was real. And so we come in together on a Sunday and we have gravity. There's a sense of weight to this, that we are not just coming into the presence of a, of a lot of other friends and we're just kind of in show mode and we're talking about this, that, and the other, okay? We're coming into the presence of God and we are recognizing that he is Amazing. He is great. He is worthy of our highest worship. This is why in the Bible, the key word for worship is found 212 times, and it means to bow down with a sense of reverence or honor in light of who God is. And so I realized that most Sundays, okay, uh, maybe we need to do this, right? That most Sundays we don't actually give space to physically bow down before God, like in our posture, but, but that, that can be a good thing. In fact, no one would be stopping you if you wanted to just get out in the aisle or come down front and pray on your knees when we gather together. This is the posture that we have in worship. And yet there's not only gravity, right? That there is no limit to how glorious God is. You can't begin to measure how amazing God is, but there is also gladness. So we come before God with a sense of reverence, but we also come before God knowing that this infinitely glorious and great God is the same God who says, you call me Father. I want to be near to you. I want to be known by you. I want to know you. I want to spend time with you. I want to take you up into my arms and care for you. So what does this do? It makes us not only worship with reverence before this great God, but it also makes us worship with celebration, right? There can be not only this sense of of awe before God, but there can also be a joyful exuberance that we get to know this great God. Both postures of our heart should be present when we come before God. That is why the Bible tells us to sing, make music, rejoice, give thanks, and, yeah, check this out, dance, 
All right, so like I know, I know like we're like we're a Christian church in the Baptist tradition. Most Baptists don't dance. I'm just saying, I don't know about you, but my girl Maureen Kalimba, who's on our worship team now, she's from Rwanda. All right, when she gets up here and she's singing, you know what I'm saying? She's she's working it, you know, like this. And uh, I don't make fun of me, all right? I'm not up here to to be the butt of your jokes this week. All right, but but you know what I'm saying? Like that, like that pleases God. We're, we're, we're moving, our hearts are into it to the point that it affects our entire being. It's all right to, you know, get a little, get a little free, a little excited, move your body a little bit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, for some of you, it's just like, this is big, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if that's your dance, you just dance away, all right? But, but no, no more of this, oh, I'm dancing in my heart, Pastor Tanner. Like, I'm dancing in my heart. I'm, I'm clapping in my heart. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, what is that, man? That's, all right. We worship. We worship together because God is infinitely worthy of our worship. Number two, we prioritize Sundays because we encounter God. Okay? So I know this, like, this is kind of similar, but it's different. And what I mean by this is, look back at verse one. Here's a, here's a clue, All right? Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Why? For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Here's the rhythm of worship, okay? Worship is all about revelation and then response, okay? Let me explain that. What God has revealed himself to us, He has made himself known in the person and work of Christ. Jesus explained God to us and God has revealed himself, not just through the eternal word of Christ, but also the written word of the Bible. So now we know God through the Bible and he has revealed himself to us. And then when we find out who God is and how great he is, that he has steadfast love and he is forever faithful, then what that does is that moves us to respond. You see, we don't just come with like empty emotionalism that would say, hey, let's get excited for no good reason. No, let's get excited. Let's, let's dance a little bit. You know, let's, let's scream and shout and sing because this is who God really is. He's really worth being happy about. He's really worth singing to. He's really worth giving some applause because of who he is. This is why Jesus would say, look, God is seeking true worshipers, and those who worship me will worship how? Spirit and truth. Spirit is from within, who we are from the inside out, all of our being, but it's not just all of who we are, but it's all of who we are in light of all of who God is. That's the truth part. We're responding to who God is. So this is why we are, are you ready for this? We are a word-centered church. Because we understand that God has revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture. And so that's why we have Scripture readings in every one of our services. Those aren't just like times that we just kind of read something because, hey, we're in church, we should read the Bible, okay? We're reading the Word because this is how we know God. We are preaching the the Bible. We are teaching from the Bible. That's why we have sermons every week because preaching at its core, at its best, is the explanation of God's word and the application of it, showing how it's relevant for our lives. But not only do we read the word, not only do we teach the word every week, but we also, we also sing the word. 
You see, a lot of times when we think about worship, we think that worship is just the singing part, right? Like, oh, I can't wait for worship today. And what we mean by that is I can't wait to sing songs. Okay, but I want to debunk that myth because everything that we do on a Sunday morning, it should all be worship from the prayer, from the greeting time, to the reading of the word, to the teaching of the word, and of course, the singing of God's truth, who he is. So I don't know about you, but I, I love music. I love, I love singing, okay? I think God has wired that into all of us to a degree, even if you don't have a very good voice. I'm not hating on anybody, all right? I'm just saying. The Bible says make a joyful noise, all right? So we're all in that camp, like even if it's just kind of noisy, all right? God appreciates it, and we can raise it up together. But, but I think deep down, we all want to sing, right? We all appreciate song. And why is that? Well, God has put a powerful tool in song, which is why I'm so thankful for our music team and our AV team who do a great job every single week helping us sing to God because, listen, I can work really hard all week on a, on a point of a sermon and you may or may not remember it. You know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. But, but you will be singing later this week of how the love of God will never fail. His, his joy comes in the morning, right? By the way, that's scripture. That's just right out of the psalm. Sorrow, sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's the psalm. So we just sing it together. And you're probably going to remember that more than you're going to remember all the lines from my sermon, right? Maybe I should start singing them. Maybe I start rapping them. I don't know. But, you know, it's still, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. At least, at least people remember something, right? So songs can be powerful. But, but let, me, let me give you this principle, okay? This is just a, a value since we started Redemption Hill. This is something that, that we will never move away from, I don't think, as long as our pastors are our pastors. And I hope you would always want to be a church, part of a church like this. We believe that the content of our music, what we sing, is more important than the style with which we sing it, okay? You got that? It's content over style. Style is not unimportant, okay? We, we want to play excellently, but I'm just saying, here's the thing. We can have a tambourine one Sunday, and we can have a cajon and a drum kit. It doesn't really matter. We can have one guitar. We can have three guitars. We can have keys. We can have no keys. What matters is that the music that we sing and the words that we sing with the music are actually moving our soul because they are based on the truth of who God is. The truth should move us. And so I, I want to ask you this morning, does the truth move you? Like these songs that we were singing earlier, does, does is something happening in your heart when we're singing about God's grace and grace alone, that God's grace gets us in the Christian life, that God's grace keeps us in the Christian life, that it has made us new, that it is keeping us going, that it is the way that we fight our sin. Like hopefully all of that is moving us and stirring us up. Music is a powerful tool in the hands of God. Bob Coughlin, one worship leader, says this, music stirs up and expresses God-glorifying emotion. Half-hearted praise, he says, is an oxymoron. That means when we come together, our hearts should be in it. Man, we, we don't have to hold back, right? We don't have to sing so softly, all right? We should be able to be heard when we're singing to God. And then he goes on and he quotes Jonathan Edwards who says this, listen to this. The duty of singing praise to God 
seems to be given wholly to excite, all right, excite and express religious affections, all right, the, the affections that, that stir our hearts in light of who God is. And then he goes on to say this, there is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. So, so let, me just be, let me just be transparent, okay? Uh, I try to be transparent and honest every week, all right? And, and, and there is so much to be encouraged by with our church, all right? And hopefully we do a good job of, of saying that and how God is working among us. But I'm just going to be honest. I think this is an area we can grow in as a church, all right? So, so we all have a personality, all right? That doesn't mean that we all are going to be inclined, like when, when a music team leader starts clapping, you know what I'm saying? We're not all going to probably start want to clap, but, but I'm just saying, like, it's okay to clap. In fact, God instructs us to clap in praise, all right? I'm off beat right now, but if I had a guitar, I'd be much better. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's okay. It's okay to raise our hands in worship. Man, God, you are amazing, and, and I can't contain myself. I have to lift my arms and say, God, you are amazing. It's all right to dance, you know what I'm saying? We already talked about that. Okay, enough dancing today from Pastor Tanner. But, but, but let's, let's grow in letting the truth stir our affections to express that to God when we come together in worship. Okay, so prioritize worship because God is worthy. Prioritize Sundays because we encounter God. And then number three, let's prioritize Sundays because we are a united family. Look back at Psalm 115. Look at verses 9 through 11. This is what it says. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Going on, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. This whole psalm is not written in the singular. This whole psalm is written in the plural. There, there are times when, yes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like we should be personally praising God through the week, all right? Pers worship is intensely personal, and at the same time, when we come to the scriptures, worship is intensely corporate. In other words, there are things that we miss when we miss a Sunday, or to state it personally, there are things that we get in the context of community that we can't get anywhere else. Or perhaps to state it more strongly, I would be cheating you and you would be cheating me if you didn't prioritize coming together. You say, well, Tanner, that sounds like a stretch. You know, you just really want to increase the, the attendance on Sundays, you know, it's like, great, great job. No, that's, that's not it. You see, because here's, here's the deal. For someone that knows God and the spirit of Christ lives within them, then the Christ in me will encourage the Christ in you. And the Christ in you will encourage the Christ in me that if we aren't coming together on a consistent basis, we're gonna miss that. 
One proverb says a, a shared joy is a double joy. And not only what we experience in a community, but how this community then is a witness to our city, right? So when we moved to Medford, we had 13 people, seven adults plus six kids. You take 13 people, and then you look at last Sunday's attendance, 316 people here on Easter, awesome. Then what happens is there is a stronger collective voice that is saying together, God is great. We benefit when we come together as a united family. Let me, let me give you just a few other thoughts here that are relevant, okay? Number one, I think it's important to not always sing with your eyes closed. Now, some of you never close your eyes when you sing. That's perfectly fine. But sometimes we want to close our eyes and just kind of focus on God and sing to God and consider his greatness. And sometimes it's good to close your eyes to maybe drown out the distractions. So I'm just saying, sometimes when we're singing, I'm closing my eyes. And sometimes when we're singing, I'm opening my eyes and not just checking out the worship team, but subtly looking around and seeing when, you know, my guy Lionel here is saying, my chains are gone, I've been set free. I'm saying, God, look at what you've done in his life. And then when I, I look over here and I see Sandra and, and Janelle, and they're singing, like a flood, your mercy reigns. I mean, on the inside, I'm like, yes, look at what you're doing, God, in our midst. All right, I know that might, you know, some of you might think I'm weird. Because like I, but that's how I'm feeling on the inside. God, look at what you're doing. That's like a, it's kind of an athletic way of saying like, God, you're amazing. All right, never mind. Um, so we 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 sing with our eyes open. Number two, we're here to encourage one another. All right, so, so like some of you may think that like the greeting time is just so the pastors can go meet new people and like welcome them and like hope you come back, you know. Um, but, but that greeting time is, is a microcosm of how we are to be encouraging one another every Sunday. So let me just ask you this, okay? What would happen if you arrived 10 minutes early at 1020, all right, which it would, I would say is probably on time, all right, but you can call it 10 minutes early, all right? Um, we all struggle with this, right? Even like I have to be here early, otherwise I'd be struggling with you, all right? If we got here 10 minutes early and then we stuck around 10 minutes on the back end, I mean, I'm just saying those 20 minutes might actually change your life. And again, that's not an overstatement. It's because of what happens when we actually encourage one another, when we're coming with the expectation that God wants me to be a blessing to someone else by a conversation, by a word of encouragement. And then number three, I would just say, this also includes our kids, right? So, so this is why we as a church, we invite all kids three and up, and even younger if the parents want, to come into our worship to hear the reading of the word, to hear these songs together. And then when the sermon starts, they go off and they have their age-appropriate teaching. So just as a reminder, listen, even if you don't serve with redemption kids, we all have an investment to make in the children of our church. They're part of our community. God wants us to help them know him. I don't know about you, but God changed my life. I heard the gospel at a young age. And I decided to follow Jesus when I was eight, almost nine years old. Why wouldn't we expect the same thing for the kids that are in our midst? Let's pray for that. We're a united family when we come together. So the question here is this. Do you come for you or do you come for everyone?
Let's come for everyone when we come to worship together. Number four, I'll speed up. We need to prioritize Sundays because we all need transformation. All right, the principle of Psalm 115 is this. Did you catch what verse eight says? That those who worship idols and those who make these idols become like them. There's a principle in the Bible that says this. You become like that which you worship. So in other words, if we deviate from the worship of God and we go and chase after these other idols in our life, money, sex, applause, approval, success, whatever it may be, then we are going to deceive ourselves and we're going to become actually hard-hearted to God where we don't even see the things of God anymore. We're not alive to God. If, if, if that is the disposition and posture of our heart, right? Obviously, when we come to know Jesus, God gives us a new heart and we're alive to God and we're now worshiping him. But that's the, that's the st- state of our heart when we chase after idols. But the same is true on the opposite side when we behold Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed, check this out, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when we fix our eyes on Christ, we are becoming more like him day by day, Sunday after Sunday. So I love that about our worship, right? Our worship retunes our hearts to reflect who Christ is. I mean, yes, we should be worshiping through our week, but when we come together on Sunday and our lives get out of tune, like a guitar can get out of tune... Worship recalibrates us. It it, it brings us back. And so listen, everything that we do in, in a service is so that we can build one another up. This is what 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, is when you come together, let all things be done for building up. And this can happen because of what God has done for us in the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, tells us that everything we do is founded on the gospel and it's also motivated by the gospel. So let me just explain this. When we pray, we can pray to God because God has given us access to him through the sacrifice of Christ. When we give, we give to God of what he's entrusted to us because we're motivated by his generosity that we see in Christ who made himself poor so that we can become rich. When we partake of the Lord's Supper and when we baptize people who are new followers of Jesus, both of those ordinances, both of those practices are a display of the gospel. Everything that we do then has the transformative power to draw us in and make us more like Jesus. So here's an encouragement. When you come in on a Sunday, Why not come in praying that God would change every person through every element that is happening on a Sunday? that's, That's the goal, right? That we would become more like Jesus as we are helping all people become mature and multiplying followers of him. Prioritize Sunday because we need transformation. Then finally, number five, prioritize Sundays because we were made to worship. Look at verses 16 through, through 18. The, Lord, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. 
The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. These verses, just to sum them up quickly, verse 17 is saying there is something urgent about the opportunity to praise now. We only have been given one life, and it is not a long life in the scheme of eternity, so we should give God all we've got and do it now because he is worthy of our praise. And yet, because God made us to worship him, We not only get to worship him now, but we will, in fact, as verse 18 says, worship him forever. God made us to know him. God made us to worship him. God made us to what's happening on our Monday and our Wednesday and our Friday, that Sunday is then actually the continuation of what has been happening through the week, and it is the refreshing point that we go back out into the world and we continue that worship that we experienced on Sunday. They all work together. And so the picture that we have in the Bible is this, that that at the very end, we will praise God forever and ever. Revelation 7 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. This is what we will spend forever doing, worshiping God, giving God the highest praise with our lives. And so if that is where all of history is going, and if that is where our lives are going, then why wouldn't we give God our best every single day, including Sundays, when we have this one opportunity every week to come together as a church? So to wrap this up, I just want to do this. I want to ask you, what step or steps maybe is God leading you to take to prioritize Sundays together? Let me give you five options. Number one, maybe you would say, you know what, Tanner, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here more consistently because this truly is an hour that is going to influence the other 167 hours of my week. Maybe some of you would say, look, I'm going to uh, arrive early and come expectant that God is going to work in our midst. For some of you say, you know what, man, I'm not going to hold back. I see this picture of how worthy God is, and so I'm going to worship him with all of my heart. Everything that I am, I'm going to give him my best focus, my best singing, my best praying, my best encouragement of others around me. Number four, maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to renew my commitment to every Sunday. I'm going to walk away with one way to live out the word that we heard taught in my life this week. And then maybe number five, you would say, you know what? I'm going to allow my daily worship to fuel my Sunday worship. Whatever step you need to take, and listen, the heart of worship is what? The heart of worship is saying, you know what? Man, I want all five. Give me all of them because, God, you are this amazing. And so what I want to do is I want to pray, and Dan and the team are going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in a song that allows us to articulate the greatness of God 
and to do it together so that we can encourage one another and so that we can leave from this place remembering who God is and being motivated to live for who he is this week. That's why Sundays matter. That's why it's a privilege for us to prioritize this time together each week. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you have called us to yourself and that you have called us to be a family that is united together in worship. And so, Father, I pray that you would renew our our focus and our vision in terms of what makes Sunday Sunday and what a great privilege this is. And, And God, I pray that you would help us to prioritize it day after day, week after week, that we would see how transformative this time can be, that we would experience it together and that we would be moved to worship you together as a church family. So God, even as we sing now, may we hold nothing back because you are infinitely worthy of our best worship. We pray this because of what Jesus has done in his name, amen.